We are continuing to move through the book of Leviticus. We come this morning to Leviticus chapter 22, verses 17 through 33. And our New Testament complementary passage is John's Gospel, chapter 6, verses 35 through 40. So if you would open your Bibles to Leviticus chapter 22... In honor of God's word, please stand. Leviticus chapter 22, beginning in verse 17. Hear God's word. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to Aaron and his sons and all the people of Israel, and say to them, When anyone of the house of Israel or of the sojourners in Israel presents a burnt offering as his offering for any of their vows or freewill offerings that they offer to the Lord, if it is to be accepted for you, it shall be a male without blemish of the bulls or the sheep or the goats. You shall not offer anything that has a blemish, for it will not be acceptable for you. And when anyone offers a sacrifice of peace offerings to the Lord to fulfill a vow or as a free will offering from the herd or from the flock, to be accepted, it must be perfect. There shall be no blemish in it. Animals blind or disabled or mutilated or having a discharge or an itch or scabs, you shall not offer to the Lord or give them to the Lord as a food offering on the altar. You may present a bull For a lamb that has a part too long or too short for a free will offering, but for a vow offering, it cannot be accepted. Any animal that has its testicles bruised or crushed or torn or cut, you shall not offer to the Lord. You shall not do it within your land, neither shall you offer as the bread of your God any such animals gotten from a foreigner. Since there is a blemish in them because of their mutilation, they will not be accepted for you. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, When an ox or a sheep or goat is born, it shall remain seven days with its mother. And from the eighth day on, it shall be acceptable as a food offering to the Lord. But you shall not kill an ox or a sheep and her young in one day. And when you sacrifice the sacrifice of thanksgiving to the Lord, you shall sacrifice it so that you may be accepted. It shall be eaten on the same day. You shall leave none of it until morning. I am the Lord. So you shall keep my commandments and do them. I am the Lord. And you shall not profane my holy name, that I may be sanctified among the people of Israel. I am the Lord who sanctifies you, who brought you out of the land of Egypt to be your God. I am the Lord. As far in the reading of God's word, please turn to John's gospel, chapter 6, beginning in verse 35, and continuing in the reading of God's word. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last 
day. Thus far in the reading of God's word, let us pray. Almighty Father, speak. Speak to us by your word and by your spirit. For your servants here. In Christ's name, amen. Please be seated. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. This is the first and the greatest commandment. In our passage in front of us, we have a picture of what the loving worshiper of God looks like. The one who loves God with all his or her heart, soul, and strength. What their worship looks like before God. And we have this picture that reveals to us, under this banner of love, love for God as a response of God's love for us. What that love looks like. And I want to look at two things in this passage. They're just two little verses that just kind of open this passage up for us. One is the heart of the worshiper. And we'll look specifically at verse 25. And an interesting phrase there. It's not the first time it's used, but it's the first time I've I've highlighted it. But it's an interesting phrase in verse 25. You shall not offer as the bread of your God. Now they're not offering bread, they're talking about animals. You shall not offer as the bread of your God. And in that verse we see the heart of the worshiper, and what worship is. The second is the heart of God. The heart of God. And we'll see that specifically in verses 26 and 27. But these verses are the kernels which open up for us this entire passage. Now, the heart of the worshiper. Throughout Scripture, and even in our common culture, it's a common thing. If you want to get to know someone, if you would like to engage on a personal level with someone, what do you do? Invite them over for dinner. Invite them out for dinner. Let's go get coffee. Times of celebration are times when people gather together around food, around bread. And and the breaking of bread is a metaphor that's used not just through Scripture, but in common culture, common human culture. The breaking of bread together is a symbol of fellowship. It's a symbol of, of peace and harmony. 
breaking bread together. But you'll notice the bread that is going to be broken, and this is clearly metaphorical because these are animals, and they're referred to as bread. The breaking of the bread must be perfect. Think about that for a moment. Seven, eight hundred years of the sacrificial system being in place. Sacrifice after sacrifice after sacrifice. Perfect animal after perfect animal after perfect animal. Each one given by a worshiper of God from his or her heart. The best of their flock over and over and over again. This flood of perfect bulls, perfect goats, perfect sheep coming up the temple to be sacrificed before God from the hands of joyful worshipers. What a beautiful image. So if you think about Micah, when God brings a charge against the nation, do you know what his charge is? He says, you're giving me the blind, the lame, and the sick. Why don't you go offer that to your governor? Tell me if your governor will accept from you the trash that you are giving me. Now, beloved, I hope you can see the core principle. Because it most certainly speaks to you and me this very day. It speaks to you and me this very morning in this very hour. What is it of yourself that you bring to God? In what do you come to God? What is the attitude in which you come into worship? For many of us, we are bringing our sick and our lame and our blind. And the worship that God calls for, the worship that God calls forth from His people, is a worship which says, truly the very best that I have, the very best that I have is given to God. There's an interesting thing later on in verse 29. When you sacrifice a sacrifice of thanksgiving to the Lord, you shall sacrifice it so that you may be accepted. It shall be eaten on the same day. Now again, put yourself in the mind, in the heart <laughs> of an old covenant believer. I need to give God a thanksgiving offering. And here's this lamb. 
I want to thank God for his mercies in my home, his mercies in my life, and I've decided I'm going to sacrifice this lamb. So, have you ever been to Costco and seen their lambs that are in the freezer section? That's a lot of meat. Their lamb that's in the frozen food section in Costco is this big thing that's about four feet long, and I think that's just a half of it. I'm not sure. I haven't bought them. Because <laughs> it looks way too big to fit my oven. It's a lot of meat. So what does the responsible person do? Well, why don't I hold up on sacrificing this Thanksgiving offering until it coordinates with my anniversary? And then I can bring the Thanksgiving offering plus all my friends, and we can all have a big party here. Or, this is an awful lot of meat, I hate to see it go to waste. I'll bring the food, or I'll bring the offering, and I'll sacrifice to God, but then I'm going to take a good 10-15 pounds of it home so that we can have some good lamb stew over the next couple of days. Do you see the common thread in both of those things? You're bringing a thanksgiving to God. You're bringing a lamb to God. Hallelujah. Good on you. But what's the heart motivation? Where's your heart in this? God says, I want you and me to be in communion here around this meal of thanksgiving. I want it from your heart. I want you to sit with me. And I want you to rejoice with me. That's what this lamb is for. This lamb is for communion with me. It's not for your party. It's not to be saved up and eaten over the next two, three days because it's Thanksgiving and... This scene is a holy and a sacred scene. A holy and sacred scene in which... People give of their very best to God. And they come to Him without any ulterior motive. No hidden agenda. They're not coming to God in order to receive some blessing from Him or or some particular thing from Him. They're simply giving themselves wholeheartedly to God and to His worship. How do you love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength? It's very, very simple. You just do. You just do. You bring to Him your very best. You sit in communion with Him. You give Him the best of your attention. You give them the best of your time. You give them the best of your life. You bring to Him your life. The, the other passage I was thinking about using is where Paul takes up this very, very theme. And he says that you and I are called to offer ourselves as living sacrifices. The, the, the very best of the sacrifice 
that the old covenant believer gives to God, Paul says is now you and me. We are the ones who are purchased. And our reasonable service is knowing that we're purchased to give ourselves to God. I didn't choose that as the complimentary passage. I rather went with John's Gospel. And now think of that word bread. The bread of God. The perfect sacrifice. Jesus says, I am the bread of life. He takes this image of God being satisfied, God being in communion, the perfect sacrifice coming before Him, delivered up from a thankful heart, delivered up from a whole heart, the best that we have to God. And Jesus says, that bread of God, that's me. I am the very best that can ever be offered up. And if you believe on me, then you will know this nourishment and fellowship. The word bread here is in Hebrew, lechem. If you put it together with the Hebrew word for house, which is bait, you get bet lehem or Bethlehem. It's interesting, as I was studying this this week, <clears throat> I did just a quick dive on Bethlehem because it, it made me think of this. The bread of God. It, later he says the food of God. In, in other places, so, so this is an interchangeable term. So why the bread of God, not the food of God? I think there is something about the bread of God. And, and as I say, it's a metaphor for communion, for fellowship, for a piecemeal, all of these things. But this, the little town of Bethlehem, the first time we see it in the scriptures is when an unfaithful priest hires himself out. He's coming to the town of Bethlehem. He's a Levite. And a presumably wealthy man says, hey, come stay with me and I'll give you a salary. And so the priest does and so the man says, now I know God will bless me because I have my own Levite. Now, he wasn't supposed to have done that. His The Levites are apart from the nation. They are, they are to take their portion from the temple. They are servants of God that move about the nation. This unfaithful priest is the first time we encounter Bethlehem. Which I think is beautiful that the next priest that comes out of Bethlehem is the perfect high priest. But we encounter Bethlehem again a second time. And that is when God tells Samuel, I am done with Saul. I'm, I'm finished with the house of Saul. You go to Bethlehem. And he goes to Bethlehem and he sees all of the sons. 
And he asked Jesse, do you have any more sons? Because the anointing oil has not yet been poured on any. And Jesse says, well, yeah, my, my youngest is out in the field. He's with the sheep. But, you know, you don't need him. I've got all these other sons here. And God says, no, I want the youngest. I want the most despised. I want the young, unknown person from the unknown town. And on him, I will pour my anointing spirit. And the text says that when Samuel poured the oil on David, the Spirit of the Lord came upon him. We see it again later in that great promise, you, Bethlehem, Ephratah, you are the smallest among the cities, but from you will come the Messiah. Out of Bethlehem will come the one who will bring peace. Out of the house of bread will come the true bread from heaven. I just find that beautiful. It, it's as, as I've been as I've been meditating on this passage this week. It's like there's this grand picture. It's almost as if one divine hand had coordinated all of Genesis to Revelation. It's almost as if this might be an inspired book from one single divine author. Because you take something as insignificant as this piecemeal is bread. And you run that through. Do you think they knew at the time? Of course not. Of course not. And yet, out of the house of bread comes the living bread. It's a beautiful connection that I think just points to a divine artist who has painted a picture here that is complex, that is rich, and that will always throw new New insights and new shadows. But at the very heart of it, the very core, the living worshiper comes and gives of himself, of herself, the very best that she has, the very best that he has, and in return receives this living communion with God. And beloved, if you have been in one of those seasons in life, if you're a Christian, I know you have. If you are a child of God, I know that there have been seasons in your life when you have felt close to God. When you have felt His Spirit intimately with you. When you've just been content to rest in his presence. Maybe it was some music. Maybe it was a text of scripture. Maybe it was just the quiet meditation on your knees in your prayer closet. But you all know what I'm speaking about. You all know what I'm speaking of. And those 
we call them mountaintop moments. Those moments when you are close and could care nothing for the sounds of the world around you. You're just so enraptured with the beauty of God and the beauty of His Word and the beauty of, of, of His Spirit and the peace that is found only here when you're just so enraptured. There was a saying that I used to hear years and years ago that some Christians are so heavenly minded that they're no earthly good. And whatever the context of that saying was is irrelevant. But you know that as much as you may want to just spend the next 12 hours on Monday morning on your knees, you do have kids that are screaming to get fed. You do have a boss that's saying, you better show up and clock in or you're fired. (laughs) But beloved, that's what the Lord's Day is. That's what the Lord's Day can do. Is willing to do. It's what the means of grace are. A day, a time for you to be nourished, to bring to Him your very best, To acknowledge that you have received from Him the very best that anybody ever, ever, ever could receive. And out of thankful heart. To then go into where it gets hard. Above all, love one another earnestly. For love covers a multitude of sin. How different would our society look? How different would our homes look? How different would my heart look? Love, earnestly, sincerely, with the best that we have. The heart of the worshiper is seen in this metaphor of bread and communion and fellowship with God. But there's another just powerful image in here in in which we see the heart of God. Verses 26 and 27, The Lord spoke to Moses saying, When an ox or sheep or goat is born, it shall remain seven days with its mother, and from the eighth day on it shall be acceptable as a food offering to the Lord, But you shall not kill an ox or a sheep and her young in one day. Alright? Let's just camp there for a second. There's no biological sense behind this. There's no... I, I don't think there's a moral reason... <clears throat> that a young, uh, a, a, a lamb and a ewe should not be killed on the same day. They're, they're animals, they're there for sacrifice or eating or whatever. There's no moral reason. Here's the reason. And, and uh, this is mostly Andrew Bonar. I'm not going to claim credit for this, but it is gorgeous. It is beautiful. 
those of you who have ever cared for animals, you got a cat who has kittens, you have a dog who has puppies, you have a you who has a lamb. If you've ever been in that relationship of a mother animal with her young, seven days that this little kitten has been born, seven days old, this little kitten laying there, and it opens its little mouth and it goes, and what does mom do? She comes. She hears the cry. And she comes. What does that little lamb do? (laughs) What does mom do? Her milk lets down, and she comes. And so here, beloved, look again at those verses. Here you've got the most beautiful, beautiful, heartbreaking, heart-rending scene. As the worshiper takes this little lamb off to be sacrificed. And the mother is crying. Seeking to bring that lamb back. Wanting to restore that lamb. Wanting to take care of that lamb. That lamb is crying out in, as it were, the words of Jesus Christ. Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani. My God, my God, why have you deserted me? That little lamb carried away with that cry coming out of its mouth and the mother standing there being restrained from running after. Lifting up her own cry. Seeking to be restored to her beautiful lamb. Beloved, you see the heart of the Father towards His Son. The Father was no cold, dispassionate judge. He was always the Father. And it was always His beloved Son in whom He was always well. And here in this scene of a mother and her young being rendered apart, being, being ripped apart, you see the pain of the Godhead on the cross. You see the pain that was there as the Father turned his back on his own son. As his own son screamed in agony of his distance from the Father. Time after time after time. Thousands upon thousands upon thousands of times that every Israelite believer had the opportunity to say, this is what God is doing. Providing a sacrifice. The Messiah, as we read in Isaiah, 
like a lamb is led to the slaughter. Now they didn't know the details, of course not, but how could you read Isaiah chapter 53 and walk away not seeing Jesus? How could you read that passage and say, this is anything other than the perfect Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And beloved, here in this image of a mother crying for her perfect Lamb as He's being taken away, here you see the heart of the Father. The powerful, powerful emotion, the powerful scene, repeated time and time and time again until that one horrible, blessed day, it was shown in its absolute perfection. For the joy that was set before him. God so loved the world. Beautiful passages and beautiful comfort and beautiful hope and promise and strength. Simultaneously. The horror. The abandonment. The turning of the back. The divine justice coming down upon the innocent. The beautiful horror that is Calvary. Beloved, we see the heart of the Father here. We see the heart of God who having redeemed his people from Israel, redeemed them out of all their sin and sorrow, called them unto himself, will now put forth his son to be the sacrifice. And somehow that sacrifice is bread. Again, that's what God says. This is the bread of God. Beloved, the scene that is here before you in this text is an awful scene. I'd hate to see the movie version of this. I really would. That perfect lamb, ripped from its mother, taken away while the mother screams out, while the lamb cries for his mother. It's a horrible scene. But it's a scene that speaks to humanity and has for generation after generation after generation. This is the love of God on full display for you. 
and for me. What is our reasonable response? I think Paul will say, is to present your bodies a living sacrifice. (laughs) I think anyone who sees this scene would say, it's to give him my best. The best that I have. My life is hidden with Christ in God. He is my portion. He is my strength. These shadows, these shadows that we see here are shadows that are complex. They are shadows that are multi-layered. But at the very heart of it, if you will gaze upon this scene, if you will meditate upon this scene, just meditate on those two things of the bread And the sheep crying out for her baby as he's taken away. If you'll just meditate on those two things. Then beloved. It will transform you. It will change you. How did we get to the place where the children of Israel were bringing the broken lambs? the blind and the maimed? How do we get from this text to that one? It's a simple answer. They forgot their hearts. They thought, let's just do the routine, let's do the motions, let's get through, just do what I'm supposed to do and God will bless And it got to that sick, sick place where the person would say, you know who Jesus Christ is? He's a worthless lamb. You know who my hope and Messiah is? A bull with crushed parts. We would get to that place where we would say, you know who my Jesus is? He's a good moral influence. You know who my Jesus is? He's somebody that doesn't really make much demand out of me, on me. You know who my Jesus is? He's somebody that occupies a good 5-10% of my time and devotion. That's on a good week. I think we meditated on this scene just a little bit more. I think it might serve as a means of grace for you. I know it has for me. I've been blessed to be marinating in this text for quite a few days now. But beloved, I offer it to you as a means of grace. The pure heart of the worshiper bringing all the best that you've got. The communion, 
fellowship that you have with God. The longing of the Father for his Son as even at the same time he turned his back. Just marvel in that. It's almost as if I am the Lord who sanctifies you, who brought you out of the land of Egypt to be your God. It's almost as if those words are just as true today as they were back then. You think? Beloved, in Christ, in the work that Christ has done, in our New Testament passage, Christ said, this is the will of my Father, that whoever believes on me will have eternal life. I am the bread that came down from heaven. All of these metaphors, all of these pictures that are given to us in the scriptures, all now coming to a point, to a head, all coming to its tightest focus. Jesus Christ, the bread from heaven, gives to you bread that is eternal, He gives to you food and nourishment and life. He gives to you fellowship. And you don't work for it. Ho, everyone who thirsts, come and drink. Buy without money bread and wine. Why do you spend your money for that which is not food? You think those words are as true today as they were when Isaiah said them? (laughs) Why do we spend our resources and our energies for that boy, for that girl, for that child, for that parent, for that thing? All those things that leave us just as empty as when we, before we ever got them. When we can find all that we ever will need. Right here. Jesus Christ feeding you. Jesus Christ, the bread of life. Heavenly Father, you give to us this book full of wondrous pictures. You place in our hands a very wondrous picture as well. The wonderful picture of bread from heaven, of communion with you in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Feed us afresh. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.